Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. We are coming to you in the middle of the COVID-19 epidemic, although we're moving to phase yellow, and each of us are recording at home. In this format, we're discussing industry news, as always, and hopefully exposing you to something new. We make our picks, and we talk about them, and I hope you you watch them and enjoy them. Um, we also preview our new weekly Film Under Quarantine series each week. That's new as well. I'm Erica Berlin, the Executive Director of the Film Society of Northwestern PA. I'm John Lyons, filmmaker, teaching artist, and director of programming. I'm Jesse Olszewski, filmmaker and project coordinator at the Greater Erie Film Office. I'm Mike Berlin, Eric Berlin's husband. This week, our film under quarantine is Once We're Brothers, Robbie Robertson, and the band. And we want to get your thoughts on our film grain dinner in a movie series. Plus, we'll chime in on Troop Zero, available on Amazon Prime with our guest listener, Heather Steinbrink. But first, how is everyone doing? Pretty good. Enjoying that Pretty weather good. or watching movies or both? <laughs> both. Both. Good. When I we look are, outside, um... it looks nice. Yeah, and then you go outside. It's a little chilly today. <laughs> we might get snow this week. So we are Erica, in... Um, why you have to start the I'm podcast? I'm just saying, this is a time like capsule, Jesse. This is a time capsule. It's COVID-19 pandemic. It's freaking freezing in northeast of the United States. So we're listening to this on May 11th, and that means we're now in our yellow phase in the state of Pennsylvania. Our county is in yellow phase. So that's opening up some retail, and it's also allowing for gatherings of up to 25 people. Um, I think this is probably referring to private gatherings um, or people that are in you know, retail stores and things like that. But we're thinking about the future of film grain. And on good nights, we have up to 100 people there. And we can't wait to get back to having 100 people in a, in a room and having a meal together and watching a film together. So um, we'll see when, when phase green comes along what we get there. But as we think about film grain, we want to take the temperature of our film grain audience, and that's you. So we put together a little survey. Um, the link to the survey is gonna be in the show notes, um, but it basically asks you to identify yourself. Um, not a lot of questions. We just wanna know, which of these four people are you, okay? The first person is the absolutist. Um, you believe that we should not have any real world, world gatherings of people, film grain at the bourbon barrel, no way until there's a vaccine and we know people can develop an immunity and they come in immune. Are you a conservative? Uh, do you imagine a gradual reintroduction of in-person social culture, but no big gatherings, no dinner, no dinner aspect of film grain until there's a vaccine? However, you'd be comfortable with film screenings returning with tables and chairs spaced out following the state and local guidelines. Are you an optimist? Do you see a rapid evolution of society into risk takers and the risk averse? Event organizers would enforce rules at the door and face masks might be obligatory. Everyone gets a little squirt of hand sanitizer, but in principle, everyone coming to see a film will be under no illusion that they are not taking a chance. 
You'd be open to dinner options returning in a more controlled form like a serving window. Or are you a radical? Do you want to return to pre-COVID-19 conditions, including film grain dinner and a movie to continue ASAP unchanged? Who are you? Tell us. We're also going to put the link to the survey on our Facebook page and we're going to send it out in an email. Yeah, so all of our newsletter subscribers will be getting this survey and should probably have received it when they listen to this episode. You guys should uh, attribute a film character to each of the four categories. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, I like that. Sounds like it may be a project for Mike. Yeah. (laughs) We'll do that pretty quickly, I bet. (laughs) All right, good. Jesse, I'd want to get your two cents. There we go. I mean, I see the radical as the joker. Pure chaos. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Jesse, which Joker? That's the question. Are we going Jack Nicholson? We going Ledger? That's going to be a day just debating that. Take this offline, guys. (laughs) (laughs) So stay tuned for that survey. Um, So what we do have right now is our current series for this new reality: film under quarantine, or fuck. We're working with art house distributors to create a lineup of the latest documentary, international and independent films, each followed by a panel discussion. Tickets for Film Under Quarantine are available on our website, filmsocietynwpa.org, and through our Facebook page. Um, Generally, they're $12 per household, but actually um, a couple of our films coming up are going to be less uh, money, so stay tuned for that. Once you purchase your ticket, you'll have three days to watch the film from the comfort of your own home. And please keep in mind that half of the proceeds go to the Film Society, so we greatly appreciate your support in these tough times. Um, Then Wednesday evenings at 8 p.m., you join us for a live virtual event to discuss the film via Zoom. All you need to do is click the link on the same page where you go to rent and watch the film and join us live and share your thoughts. We've made a tutorial video which will walk you through this process. Get the link in the show notes for today's episode and we'll also have that on our Facebook page and in our weekly newsletter as well. This is a great opportunity to support us and stay connected to the film community. So this Wednesday, May 13th, we've got Once We're Brothers, Robbie Robertson, and the band. Probably one of the most difficult titles for me to get right (laughs) and remember. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a confessional, cautionary, and occasionally humorous tale of Robbie Robertson's young life and the creation of one of the most enduring groups in the history of popular music, the band. Um, We have two great panelists for this event, Alan Carpenter from iHeartRadio and our own Mike Berlin, husband of Erica Berlin. (laughs) I'm sharing both of their titles. Alan Carpenter from iHeartRadio and Mike Berlin, Erica Berlin's husband. (laughs) So Mike, would you like to add anything um, to woo our listeners about the band, about your friend Robbie Robertson, about his brothers? Tell us everything. You know, okay, I'll I'll say this. And uh, obviously uh, the band isn't necessarily, we're not listening, if you turn on Top 40 Radio now, you're not listening to a lot of, 
rhythm and blues, guitar, uh, we're actually playing our instruments. And uh, there is a, but I think everybody, everybody who loves music, the you know, universal language has an appreciation for these talents. And there is, the band for a long time was a group that sort of got overlooked by mass culture because they came in at a, they came in at a time when the music that was coming out of America and England was just loud sounds and just booming with the Stones and, and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin. And it was easy for people to overlook the band, but they have a very, very important cultural uh, place in our history, in Americana history. And they are still relevant to music today. And uh, I, I don't want to say too much because in the film, he'll go through it and he'll get into the, the years as, Dil, as them as Dylan's backing band and stuff like that. And uh, they are honest to God. And you can't say this about every rock and roll group, but they have something for everybody that, uh, that I think they, uh, that will be appreciated. Nice. So if you're a fan of good tunes from that era, you definitely want to tune in and either reconnect or discover uh, a great band called The Band. All right, so that's Wednesday night, and we hope that we see all of you virtually with us over Zoom to chat about it. Looking ahead, May 20th will be Starship Earth, a timely new documentary that was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at this year's Sundance Film Festival. And then we've got St. Francis on May 27th. Again, go to our Facebook page and official website for more information on these upcoming events. And, you know, thanks for that, John. I mean, we, we started Film Under Quarantine because it's important to us to continue working to meet our mission, which is to serve Northwestern Pennsylvania with high quality film experience. Um, and now we live in this new normal of virtual programming. And we think you, our Film Green fans, uh, can see the value in this. Just as you would go out to dinner and a movie, you can have takeout on your couch and a movie. And what may even be the best part, join us and have a conversation afterwards with a panel of carefully selected folks and of course your Film Green hosts. Um, we wanna see and talk to you. Uh, we wanna see and talk to other people. We've all been stuck at home. Um, we're not seeing each other in person and this is a really, really great way to, um, to be part of the film community even though we can't get together in person. Um, we're all hungry for our social connections and, and we love that you're part of ours. And the Film Society is a nonprofit organization. We seek our funding from many sources, but our primary source, luckily, is earned revenue from Film Grain. And not all nonprofits can say that. We don't rely on, on a lot of grants and, and donations. Uh, we probably could more so. We rely on the earned revenue from our programs. And with that said, Film Under Quarantine is currently our only income stream, and we do rely on it. So if you like Film Grain podcast and our experimental programming uh, during this new crazy time. If you want to see us grow in Erie, consider making a donation. You can go to filmsocietynwpa.org to do so via PayPal, or you can just send us a check. Our address is P.O. Box 3260, Erie, PA 16508.
So our movie this week was Troop Zero, which is a new film on Amazon Prime. And we have a special guest listener, Heather Steinbrink, um, who recommended this movie to us on Facebook. Thank you for being here, Heather. Thank you for having me. So Troop Zero um, is directed by, um, they list themselves as Bert and Birdie. It stars Jim Gaffigan, Viola Davis, and a whole crew of wonderful uh, child actors, misfits, a misfit crew. Heather, what drew you to this film initially? Um, And tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the film overall. I think why I watched it the weekend I watched it was because we're quarantined. I needed a feel-good movie. I kind of knew what I was getting into with this. And it it served up exactly what I needed at the time I needed it. That's awesome. How did you find it? I just kept seeing the previews on Amazon Prime. And with a cast like that, uh, it's hard to ignore it. Uh, and, and I had it kind of in the back of my head for a long time. Um, just looked, Just needed to wait for the right time to watch it and found it. Cool. Uh, So Erica, what did you think about Troop Zero? Well, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought that the characters were very intentionally drawn and each stood out in their own way. Um, Definitely a goofy group of kids, which, you know, that is a a feel good altogether. I mean, which is, I like that they're part of the birdies or trying to be part of the birdies and they, they create this troop which now that I'm thinking about it, Bert and Birdie, and they create the birdies, it, it's just kind of a cute homage to themselves, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, my favorite part was the ending. I mean, when they get on stage and they do David Bowie, I just was like blown away. <laughs> um, how creative and adorable and, and, and confident that was after everything that they had gone through. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I kind of thought maybe the audience was going to like sing along, like it was going to be the big feel good moment, you know, and then they got teased and then she peed her pants. And then the other kids came and peed their pants. It was that just um, so odd. And you kind of have to just give it to the filmmakers to have that, that level of confidence of writing an ending of a movie like that. <laughs> so that was just an incredible sequence to me. I, I loved it. Um, and I thought performances, I thought Viola Davis was incredible. I mean, she just, her, her character, her attitude, her look, obviously the way that she interacted with the girls, uh, just also unexpected. Jesse? Oh, it was definitely an adorable feel good movie. I did like it. I thought Christmas was uh, so, she just had armadillo skin. Like she got made fun of, but it didn't matter to her. And I was like, man, she's a lot braver than I remember being at that age. But you know, it's, it's fiction. But I do echo what Erica said, Viola Davis. She really can spice up any character. Yeah. Mike. 
So obviously not normally my type of movie, I would say. Uh, but sometimes you got to step back and recognize what, who the audience is, who's like the audience, audience that this is intended for. And uh, in that respects, you know, the moment that this, the story gets going, it's like, got it. This, you know, this is lighter entertainment. This is for the family and stuff like that. It's really an enjoyable movie, actually. It, like after like a half hour, it sort of gets going. And yeah, it plays off of a lot of sort of cliches and tropes, but that's okay. There's enough cynicism and like, negativity out there as far as entertainment goes right now and uh it's no it's not going to win any awards or anything like that but it's like it's really it's just really well done for what it is uh I, you know i think uh big ups to the cinematographer james whitaker and uh he looked up his imdb page and he's like one of these guys who's been sort of worked in the studios from camera and electric and gaffing and it's just like it actually is a really nice looking it's a very easy movie to watch and uh that's part of the i think that's part of the appeal because you, like, you can really just let yourself sit down be entertained and enjoy it yeah so i'm surprisingly yeah i kind of liked it nice well i'll just echo some of what you guys already said and then bring it back around to heather i thought uh yeah viola davis is the shit completely She's great in anything she's in. Um, finding natural child actors, like just a single one, is a difficult, really difficult task. I feel like in a lot of movies, child actors are kind of like winking to the camera and like very um, aware that the camera's there and that they're play acting. But man, I thought these kids were amazing. Um, they each had their own personalities, but also um, the directors were able to bring out like uh, that depth and show that growth between each of the characters, which is again, no easy feat with an adult cast, let alone uh, pretty much all children leads. So I thought it was great. Um, I'm curious what you guys uh, got out of the movie as far as messages. I thought there were some interesting uh, comments that, you know, they were, as Mike said, they were thrown out kind of lightly, but there are some really good messages in the film. Um, uh, I took away, and then Heather, I'm curious what you thought as far as messages for just a, a viewer in general, adults, children, but I, I, I like the message of being more than the situation that you're born into and finding the beauty in all of us and our differences. Um, I thought that that was a great message for probably society for all times, but especially today in these divisive times. Um, and then breaking our chains. And as far as women and like a feminist message, uh, there was a lot of comments on, you know, acting right and don't act ugly, you know, having fun, but not too much fun because you're always being judged. Um, you know, these comments were thrown out kind of lightly, which we do in society, but, um, you know, I, th I thought that the message was really strong in this film. So what did you think, Heather? What did you uh, come away with the movie and as far as maybe recommending to other people what you would say? I, I think the, the two things that I took away from it is one, I loved the character of Joseph and how he was treated in the movie and and just how much his dad ended up getting behind him. When you first see him, you know, the dad's throwing him the football, but then the dad's also driving the bus to the, to the birdie jamboree. 
and and that is that is parenting right there so as a parent i appreciated that the other thing i i really liked at the end i thought just you know touched me was when the the little girl and her dad were sitting there and he you know the dad was worried he's like you know i i'm probably not enough for you and she says you know no we're golden um i think i think people do spend too much time worrying about how how it's coming off or what exactly they're doing and forgetting that it's all about the connections and and that dad and that daughter christmas and her dad had a had a great connection and and that's really all she needed and she knew that all along um so i just i was really touched by by that at the end excellent yeah i think that's a that's a good point and that you know kids aren't they don't have all the tools you know built in they're not kid heroes they they need adults to help them and shape them and adults aren't perfect you know like joseph Staddy's, he's not a perfect dad and he you know he has his own idea of what his son needs to be but at the end of the day parents are still really important even if they don't fully understand their kids you know they still have to be a role model in 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 some way so yeah i i'm not a parent myself so i can't speak to it i don't know heather do you have kids you do i do i do i have a couple of teenagers and 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 like i said i guess those two those two fathers symbolize different things to me is i understand joseph's dad from the point of being a, a parent and i understand christmas's feelings towards her father from being a child so you know you kind of see it on on both ends where the one is just sort of that unconditional support and then the other one's the child looking at the parent going you know whenever you do something with me that is a good thing that is that is often enough and and so like i said i i i felt it from both sides and and i liked that and that was the only thing that made me sad about watching this movie is i had really hoped to watch it with my mother and my children and because of the quarantine i got to watch it with my kids but i didn't get to watch it with my mom but we'll, we'll watch it again it's a rewatchable for sure jesse mike yeah uh i think as far as themes it really drives home self-acceptance and acceptance of others uh again i think christmas is just a little too perfect like her hair gets cut off and she gets stuffed in a locker but she doesn't let that like affect her in any way which is more strength than most adults can do um they the kids seem to never like apologize for their shortcomings they have these quirks and they um they turn those into their strengths when they form the troop so it's it's just not not uh having to apologize for who you are as a person that's what i got out of it yeah ultimately it is a movie about inclusion and everything like that a little interesting to have it set in um you know, sort of the South in 1970s. Obviously, there's a they take a uh, spoonful of sugar approach to some of the um, what we know were the social issues at the time, and you could probably have a greater debate on some level about there's some whitewashing that goes on there. Um, and uh, but again, I think it's important to keep in the back of your mind who the audience is. 
And um, it's just like, this isn't going after, this isn't trying to be Gandhi. It's not trying to be, uh, it's not trying to be Schindler's List or Malcolm X or something like that. Oh, God, it's, I would you know, hope not. Well, it, it, but it's an important thing because it's just like, because it's not an accurate representation of history. Let's be honest. Uh, that I think that the obstacles probably uh, for like that would be mounted in front of these characters, these lovable, wonderful characters who are well defined out would probably be more menacing. And uh, you know, but it's, it's sometimes okay to like sort of not have to think about that. So I, I do give the film, I do give the movie a, a bit of a pass because of that. And because it does sort of, they do, the, I give Bird and Birdie and I, like they set the right tone. Because otherwise you'd get, you would get absolutely maybe stuck in the minutia of that debate. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's a movie. So, you know, it, it gives all of us something to aspire to, um, for sure. And another thing that I thought was kind of interesting that tied into a ghost story in a weird way is, was the whole thing about being remembered. Um, and how at the end when they're all standing at the picnic table, you know, they're all like yelling, I am here, I am here, um, which I thought was, you know, really moving. And um, all you can wish for, I, somebody said in the movie, I think I wrote this down actually, all you can wish for is someone fool enough to show up, uh, like to your event or, um, you know, to support you. Uh, I don't remember which character said that. It was probably Viola Davis's character, but um, she's talking to Christmas, giving her some insight. I think I think it's got a, a good, powerful message. I did think. Um, did you guys watch through the end credits, Heather? Did you watch the end credits with the golden record? I didn't know that the golden record was like a real thing. I was alive in those days, and so I remember. I don't remember the recording of it, but I knew it was something that they had actually sent out into space. Yeah, I thought that was incredible. And it kind of, the ending made me a little nostalgic for, I don't want to say like those naive days, but kind of nostalgic for the perception of youth, like the point of view of youth where, um, you know, you can dream and you can send a golden record up into space for the aliens to listen to. Yeah. It kind of made me <laughs> long for um, kind of that romantic sense of inventiveness. I feel like, right. do we it, do we have that still? Well, now we have... No, it's, it's that non-cynical uh, imagination that I think was, you know, we were doing so many space missions and now it's just like, oh, well, the person is on the space station and, you know, things are happening and, they're taking pictures deeper into space and, but it's really, it doesn't feel like an imagination anymore. It's not captivating people, the, the, the American people, the people of the world anymore. It's just like, oh yeah, they're doing some space stuff, but the imagination of let's, you know, <laughs> let's have children in all these different languages, you know, speak to whatever's out there. It's a hopefulness. It's a belief um, in the things you can't see. And now, I, I don't know, now we're in this pandemic and it's a whole different time for all of our lives, but it just feels like it's so cynical and everyone wants to find how something doesn't work or why it's wrong or you shouldn't be hopeful because the evidence says otherwise. And, you know, it, yes, John, I know exactly what you mean. I feel like we had a more innocent 
hopeful, um, naive. It sounds like the wrong word, but right. in this case, it's positive. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, I I disagree on some level. I think I think it's I I think I know what you guys are saying, but like I think it comes from a different slant. Uh, We live in an era of information, and like we have more at our fingertips than we ever have before. And that's probably you know you could probably pre-internet, post-internet, and uh, on some level we are much more aware and have greater perspective about some things. And if you want to take it to uh, sort of a reference, we've eaten the apple. And uh, so we kind of know some things now and where some of that, where some of that might also come from on some level, that feeling that you guys are talking about, that nostalgia is also that this is now, we now live in a post analog world. And there is a difference about being creative and how that spurs uh, imagination and uh, progressive thought uh, when with an analog, I mean, even at the end, John, he's, that's a Nagra tape recorder and you used to have to, those like wind it up, have to make sure you're in sync and stuff. I've worked with those things before and you could do some funky things with it. But like now it's just like I can grab a Tascam or a Zoom and stuff like that and just press record. It it doesn't necessarily we aren't as being there's there's maybe a greater conversation to be had here because we're not being as creative with our hands and we don't we don't necessarily um, absorb information the same way. We now have it relayed to us. We are very, we aren't as active in our research. We are now much more passive in taking it in. Yeah, that's a good point. And like now, uh, what do we invent? We invent like the next app or something. And there's no like, it's such a fast food culture of information. Like you said, Mike, we're not active participants really in, it doesn't feel like we're active I, I disagree. Okay. I disagree, guys. We go out and find the information that we want. We go to the sources that we want. We find information that either, this is the big problem right now. We find information, we seek out what supports what we believe. We and are very intentional. Loop. Like we're in a feedback loop, in our own feedback loop. Oh, you're talking, I thought you were saying we're having an audio problem. No, no, <laughs> no. no. no sorry. <laughs> yes, we're in a feedback loop. I think in the days, like pre-digital world or whatever, we accepted a lot of the information that was given to us. It's the, op- I disagree with Mike wholeheartedly. I think information was given to people and they trusted it and believed it. Peter Jennings or, you know, and Walter Cronkite, it's like, yeah, they were the voice. We went to that source and we trusted what they told us. But we, we were naive. The, but we were naive. And I think that's what we're saying. Like we yeah. were a naive culture. We were innocent. We're, we were, we were innocent. more innocent and we were more trusting. And now, like you said, John, we're in a feedback loop of I'm going to get the information that confirms what I already know. And if I do learn something new, I'm going to find the person that I, the person I trust and see if they believe it or not. So we're saying the time that this movie took place was like our infant period, and now we're like the bratty, bratty teenagers that are self-absorbed. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's funny that you say it's funny that you say that, John, about being an adult bratty adolescent, because I saw a post on Facebook today that basically said, it's just like an ad- the adolescence of America. We protest to defend our rights, but we're not willing to take any responsibility. And absolutely, adoles- I mean, that is the adolescent brain, right? I mean, Heather, you're a parent of teenagers. Like, 
if that makes some sense to you, but it made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> it, it does make sense to me. Um, but I think, like I said, I, I think I see a lot of this in, in terms of the information part so different because I said, I am probably the same age as those characters. And so that was the one place too that I could really relate to Christmas. In, the, in those days, you wanted to know something. You had to go to the library and check out, if you were passionate about something, you know, you checked out six, eight, 10 books, however many books they had on whatever you were interested in. And it, it took such an effort if you were going to learn something on your own. And I don't know how, with having this easy information now, I, I can't quite put into words how that changes things, but I can tell you, you know, that it, it was an interesting time to have passions back then because I said you really had to work hard. That's yeah. a great point. And I was thinking about it completely different. And I absolutely agree with you because you were that age. I mean, John was born in 1977, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, I mean, we grew up pre-internet. The internet didn't exist until I was, or that I was even a te like knew anybody who was getting on the internet until I was a senior in high school, I think. So yeah, I get that. I get that. Mike, did you have something? No, I mean, Heather kind of actually hit the point that I was like, when Erica, when you were talking about how we go, we don't really actually go anywhere. We sit at our computer and, you know, we dial into an H HTML site and stuff like that. And I think that Heather got it. It's like, you go to the library and you're going to have to hit, you know, either the reference or these books and stuff like that in our good old fashioned Dewey Decibel system. And uh, you're going to have to find it. And whether you knew it or not, you were reading something from an author and that author had their own interpretation and, pre and perspective of something. So you were, you were getting something, some information from somebody who may be ideologically totally different from you. Well said. Uh, just to wrap up, were there any, um, was there any characters that you related to maybe from your childhood? Do we have any hell no's out there? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we might have a Christmas. Heather, you were Christmas? <laughs> Probably a little bit of Christmas. I'm definitely a smash. Short fuse, Mike? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Anybody else? I, I have one final comment. Let's hear it. I really liked the way it looked. I liked the color palette. I liked the light. I liked that summer camp look. And it kind of reminded me in a much more relaxed and sloppy way. It reminded me of Moonrise Kingdom. Just, you know, you're in the youth in uniform. And, the and color that, palette for sure. Yes, color palette for sure. Um, yeah, I really liked the, um, the production design and, and the photography, the cinematography, Mike. James Whitaker. James Whitaker. Yeah, and I'll just jump in quick. Jesse and I were talking before we recorded, and you know, a lot of times you'll see movies with quirky characters for just quirk's sake. And one of them um, I feel that way about is Little Miss Sunshine that I felt was uh, kind of faking quirk and obviously acting, but I felt that um, this movie and the characters felt more lived in um, and more um, uh, organic and natural to me. I, th I think that's one of the things that I really liked about it and appreciated in those kids was those moments when they'd have the small kindnesses they would do for each other seemed very real. 
you know, where the one girl's, well, where hell knows telling Christmas horror stories all night so that, so that Christmas doesn't wet the bed. Um, and, and, you know, Christmas finally chases hell no and hell knows like, I've never been chased before. No one's ever dared to do that to me or for me. And, and those were the little things that seemed very real or when they're all hogpiling on each other. They did that. They did that how I would expect to see kids to do that, not how I would expect to see it in a movie. Good point. Well said. Well, Heather, thank you so much for uh, recommending this film, and thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad you guys uh, enjoyed it for for what it was, and uh, I, this was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Heather. Thanks, thank Heather. Bye. 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 recommendations that we got this week that yeah. you wanted to talk about? Yeah, so we heard, of course, now it's, we're hearing every week from, from our audience, which is really great. I really appreciate that. Um, today we had a couple, well, a, a few people kind of following up and saying, I'm still binging Shameless or, <laughs> you know, or things like that. But uh, I had Brad Pitt asking everyone, what, what did they watch this weekend again? And I, I definitely agree with Richard Moore, who commented, like, I didn't watch anything. We had such a great weekend. We did. We had a beautiful weekend in Erie. Yesterday was stunning. And so I'm saying, no TV till after dark. I think that's, I think everyone needs to remember, enjoy the, the beautiful weather, wait until it's dark out, and then watch all of your movies. Of course, <laughs> Jesse is such a night owl anyway. I mean, I, I do my outdoors and my movies at night. Uh -huh. Everything happens at night. <laughs> That's creepy. You're watching a lot of what we do in the shadows. Right. Going out late at night. It's um, just rubbing off on me. Yeah. Well, I'll say that la last week we talked about the movie Dr. Sleep. And I think, Jesse, you and I talked about it, but we didn't talk about it on the podcast. We kind of talked about it offline. But Mike and I watched it. Um, awesome i loved it yeah. um i definitely snoozed for 15 minutes during it but that's just par for the course everyone's shaking their it's head just at the right title now. erica <laughs> i know we, we should just it should just be a fact that you're gonna fall asleep at some point but it shouldn't be part of the intro to every movie because it makes it sound like a negative i only <laughs> slept negative. for 15 minutes <laughs> it's not that's a negative that's good for her. Mike, I always just ask than, Mike, like, okay, Mike, what did I miss? Time. Mike she just fills me in with what I missed. The whole Fine. overlook. Oh. I saw the end when the furnace explodes. Spoiler. Yeah, Spoiler. geez. Okay. Sorry, guys. Carl Crummiller suggested Extraction, which is the Chris Helmsworth movie on Netflix right now. It's an action I've been hearing a lot of good things about that one. Yeah, it's like the new movie on Netflix. So that's the only thing everybody's talking about because they all see that image when they log into Netflix. Right. And it's right. Chris Hemsworth. Man, it's like every filmmaker just needs to, that's almost, we're getting to the complex of like opening weekends, except with Netflix now where it's uh -huh. like, 
what did you watch this week? Well, I watched Tiger King. Well, why? Because well, because that's the image that showed up when I logged into Netflix, and everybody's talking about it because that's the image that's showing up for everybody that logs yeah. in. No one's that's that's my concern with these services. Is no one's actually discovering anything, and that's why I feel like our role is to yes. help point people to some things that might not be those top. 10 movies that are in their very top and scroll. Netflix is the worst because the top three or four categories usually repeat. <laughs> It'll be like critically acclaimed movies, new on Netflix, Netflix top picks. And the it's Netflix just originals. Yeah, Netflix It's a real comment. I think that's one of the problems when they start doing the top yeah. 10 thing. I, it's like neat, but it's like, it's totally sort of siphoning people down the same thing. And, uh, you know, it's not bad to have entertainment as zeitgeist, but at the end of the day, you can't help but feel that you're being also somewhat manipulated by Netflix because it's like, it does tend to be produced by Netflix, made by Netflix and stuff like that. It's like, they're definitely manipulating. Yeah. But also, like John said, you have to you have to take it upon yourself to do the extra steps of actually digging through and finding new stuff. That's why I think curation is so important and why our role is always important and continues yeah. to be. And why I always get pissed off every time people just talk about Marvel movies and yeah. whatever's on Netflix originals. And it's just like, we're just in the echo chamber of media <laughs> also. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, not actually, to make fun of, Not to trash on Carl's uh, pick because I have heard a lot of people that liked that movie. Yeah, and it, there is an audience for extraction. I heard it's very violent, though, Erica. Oh, that's not my scene. Okay, Stu actually had a recommendation from Netflix called Atypical, and I'll just give you a little summary since he is not here to do it. It's a heartfelt comedy following Sam, a teenager on the autism spectrum, deciding he's ready for romance. In order to start dating and hopefully find love, Sam will need to be more independent, which sends his mother on her own life-changing path, and so on and so on. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee is in it. It's a, it it's looks a series, like Michael Rappaport. Yeah, I'm looking at the series. picture. I think this is a series. I've seen some of it. It's pretty good. It's got the kid from um, It Follows plays mm -hmm. Sam. Did we get any others? We did have someone... S. Philip Myers. They watched Beasts of the Southern Wild this weekend, so that was oh. kind. Of, that's a kind of interesting uh, nice. connection. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, that's actually a great movie that has a similar look to it. I mean, it's very different in the in the characters and the setting, but it is about a young person um, kind of moving beyond or or kind of finding inspiration beyond their you know their their station their situation. Yeah, um, the director Ben Zeitlin's new movie, it's not available to stream for free, but uh, last time I checked on Amazon, it was very affordable. It's called Wendy, and it was like three three bucks maybe, instead of the mm. typical like nine or 12 or something. Oh my. What do you think of the movie A Serious Man? Because that was recommended as well. That's on Netflix. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it for a while, and really like, I will I always go back to the Coen brothers. I know that Mike, maybe Mike and I have talked about this movie before. Like I didn't get it and I didn't really like it at all. I could revisit it because I, I really didn't, 
I really wasn't into it and I love all of their movies. So I'd be curious just to rewatch it and see if I've matured into it now. <laughs> I'd, I mean, I'd watch it. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. This is a great one. I think it'll absolutely spur some conversation. I kind of like that John's going to rewatch something that he didn't like in the past. I mean, this came out in 2009. It's been 10 years, John. Let's, let's do see it. if, let's see. Maybe I can now relate changes. to, to an, an older guy's life coming apart at the seams. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, let's do it. Maybe when I was like 30, I was like, yeah, yeah, I got I it together. Yeah, I don't get yeah, it. I was going to say, you were more optimistic. Now maybe I'll be curled up in a fetal position and just falling. <laughs> <laughs> what service well, is it on, Erica? It's on Netflix. Okay. Do we want to do this one then? Yeah. Who recommended it? It was S. Philip Myers. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Well, well then maybe we'll see if S. Philip Myers wants to join us next week. I think um, I think they are a, a film buff. They're writing about Beasts of the Southern Wild and Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Those are the wow. other two that Werner. they are. Werner, all right. Yeah, yeah this, this right. person's got some good taste, so let's see if yeah. they want to join us. I do have a, a bonus. This isn't a um, one for us to discuss, but we certainly can give it a little time next week is Back to the Future has been added to Netflix. And if you don't already own it on VHS. Uh, <laughs> or DVD. Or, or Blu-ray. Or, or UHD. Or digital. Right. LaserDisc. Right. Or LaserDisc. Or if you haven't watched it on, you know, beta. any. Yeah, <laughs> beta. If you haven't watched it on television, I'm sure it's on a lot on cable stations. I don't really know because I don't have cable like that. But let's go back to Back to the Future, shall I we? I think now more the, than ever, people want to go back to 1985. I'd love to go back to 1985. I was five years old at the time. So innocent. So innocent. I wasn't born. Yeah. <laughs> then let's okay. not go back because then Jesse won't be here. Oh. Oh, I'm coming. Don't worry. Jerry. <laughs> we'll just bring Jerry. <laughs> Jerry will stand in. Sorry, no one replaces you, Jesse. Thank you. All right, so that's been our episode. Purchase your virtual ticket for Once We're Brothers, Spaceship Earth, and St. Francis through our website and Facebook page. And join us this Wednesday at 8 p.m. for a panel discussion on Once We're Brothers. Check out Troop Zero on Amazon Prime and stay on top of local COVID news from Dr. Rachel Levine and the Pennsylvania Department of Health and our county executive, Kathy Dahlkemper. Let us know what you think in the comments section on Facebook. Make sure and follow us on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, folks, this was Film Brain.